We're turning God's Word this morning to the Gospel according to John chapter 4. I'm going to preach two sermons today out of this history in John 4. It was recently in my own congregation that I was preaching a series on the beginning chapters of the Gospel according to John, and these sermons were part of uh, that series. I'm not preaching on the Heidelberg Catechism this morning because you're up to Lord's Day 27 on infant baptism, so I thought I would save that for baptism uh, next Sunday morning. So we'll come back to the Heidelberg Catechism next Sunday morning. But John 4, the text this morning is the first 18 verses, and I'm going to be reading the first 26 verses of that chapter. This is the Word of God. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That means it was about noon. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well? And drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him 
must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And thus far, we read God's holy and inspired word. When you begin studying the life and the ministry of our Savior Jesus Christ, you'll see very quickly that Jesus saves many different kinds of people. That comes out here in this text, especially in its context. So that if you go back to chapter 3, you see someone else that Jesus saved. It was Nicodemus. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman were very different. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, meaning he was part of the Sanhedrin, the the highest rulers of the Jews. And because of that, Nicodemus would have been well known in that day. If you said the name Nicodemus in Jerusalem, people would have known who you were talking about. And probably if you said his name even more broadly in Judea and maybe up in Galilee, they would know who this Nicodemus was. And Jesus came to save him. But now in this chapter that we're looking at this morning, there's the Samaritan woman. She was simple. She was common. Probably uneducated. We'll see that she was immoral, and she's even nameless. We don't even know her name. What this shows to us is that our Lord Jesus Christ came to save many different kinds of people. Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman both needed the very same thing. They needed the grace of God. They needed Jesus Christ. They needed to be born again, to be regenerated. They needed the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. One of the things that we learn from this history is that not only does Jesus Christ save many different kinds of people, but that tells us that even in our day, the gospel is for many different kinds of people regardless of sex, race, education, wealth, or social position. And that is important for us to understand because sometimes we can think that maybe the gospel wouldn't be for us or the gospel isn't for other people because of their social standing in the world or because of the sins in which they walk. But we're reminded that that is not the case. But there's something else that's important in this history as we begin looking at it. Jesus teaches us here that we will seek whatever we thirst for. We will seek whatever we thirst for. We live in a world that is thirsting for many different things. People are thirsting for power. They're thirsting for affirmation. They're thirsting for popularity. They're thirsting to be influencers of the culture and society. They're thirsting for people to follow them. They're thirsting for wealth. They're thirsting for riches. 
They're thirsting for the things of this earth, and the list goes on and on and on. And because people are thirsting for those things, they spend their lives pursuing those things. Our Lord Jesus Christ in this passage is teaching us that there's a better thing to thirst for. That which we are to thirst for is living water that's found alone in Him because that living water satisfies. The things of this world don't. Popularity doesn't. None of those things satisfy. But the living water does. And Jesus Christ, He is the source of that living water. When you go through the Gospel according to John, you see that the focus of this uh, gospel account is Jesus Christ himself, who he is and what he does. And we see that again in this passage. And that's why it shows the theme that I did. The theme that we look at this morning is the source of living water. We want to understand what living water is, but we want to see and understand that Jesus Christ is the source of this living water. So that's our theme. The source of living water, we look first at the idea, secondly the drinking, and then finally the blessing. Jesus, we find in the beginning of the text, says that he must go through Samaria. That's uh, verse 4. He must needs go through Samaria. The idea was it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. It wasn't necessary that Jesus take that road. He could have taken another road. In fact, in many ways, it would have been easier for Jesus and his disciples to take a different way as they were going up to Galilee from Judea. But he must go through Samaria. Why? Well, it was to seek and to save a lost woman, this Samaritan woman that we read of in the text. And it wasn't just her. When you read on in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman and her witness was used to bring many others to come out to hear Jesus preaching. And many others in Samaria believed in Him. But it was especially for the salvation of the Samaritan woman that Jesus must go through Samaria. In this we see the the deep love of Jesus Christ for His people and for their salvation. We see that in a couple of ways. We see here, first of all, that Jesus expended Himself to save the Samaritan woman and many others in Samaria as well. He, he comes to Jacob's well here and Jesus is so exhausted that he must rest there and he sends his disciples into the nearby village, Sychar, to find food for them. They have water there at the well. But he sends his disciples to find food. It's not just that we see the humanity of Jesus Christ here. But more than that, we see the compassion and love of Jesus Christ for this lost sinner that he had come to save. But you see it in other ways as well. Jesus here does some things that were culturally unacceptable for a Jew to do in that day. So that if a Jew did these things, he, he would be despised in the society of that day. Three things we notice. The first is, he spoke to this woman, although she was a Samaritan. 
a Samaritan. You see, the Jews avoided all contact with the Samaritans. They, they didn't want to talk to them, and they usually didn't. And we might wonder, well, why is that? That sounds quite cruel, doesn't it? Well, there was a reason for it. And it goes back in the history of Israel. You'll remember that when the nation of Assyria took the northern kingdom captive, they spread the people of the northern kingdom throughout the nations of the world at that time. But they didn't leave the world of that land empty. They sent other people from other nations into that land of the northern kingdom. But you'll remember also, as that's recorded in the Old Testament, God sent lions that were killing those people that had moved into that land. And so the people began to think, maybe the God of this land and the God of the people who used to live in this land is angry with us. So we need to learn how to worship this God. Maybe we can appease the anger of this God. So they asked for someone to come in and teach them how to worship this God. So the Assyrians sent in those who could teach them how to worship Jehovah God. And so these Samaritans were Gentiles who were moved into this land and they worshiped the one true and living God with sacrifices according to some of the commandments in the beginning books of the Old Testament. But along with that, these Gentiles, these Samaritans were worshiping their idol gods. And this is why the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. But again, Jesus here demonstrates his great love for this woman, his desire to save her by speaking to her, first of all. Secondly, he speaks to her not only as a Samaritan, but as a woman. In that day, it was scandalous for a teacher even to speak to a woman. But Jesus doesn't worry about that. He speaks to her anyway. And thirdly, we see that Jesus asked her for a drink, which would have meant sharing a cup with her. And that was something the Jews never did. They would not share a utensil with the Samaritan. But Jesus here is willing to do that. Jesus Jesus shows in this his care for the soul of the Samaritan woman. It was all for her salvation. What's so remarkable about about that is that this woman was a sinner. She was lost and she was in need of the living water that is found alone in Jesus Christ. She didn't yet know that, but it was true of her. We see her sinfulness in a couple of ways. The first is, she was a woman who was even ostracized in her own city. That comes out in the very timing at which she came to the well. She came to the well we read about noon on that day. That was not the normal time that a woman would go to the well. Because that was the hot part of the day. Instead, they would go to the well in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. But this woman was coming to the well in the middle of the day. And secondly, she came to the well alone. Usually, the women would go to the well together in the morning or in the evening. But she came in the middle of the day alone. That would indicate to us that she was a pariah in her own city, in her own village. No one would have anything to do with her. They wouldn't allow her to come in the morning or the evening with the other women. She had to come by herself. That would indicate that even the people of that city, although they weren't children of God or Christians at that time, 
that they viewed her as an immoral woman. But we're not left to guess about the sinfulness of this woman just from that. After Jesus is speaking to her about living water, then Jesus goes to her in verse 16. He says, go call thy husband and come hither. And there's a reason that Jesus does that. The reason is, is Jesus draws out of this woman her own sinfulness because her response is, well, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right that you have no husband. You've had five husbands and now you're married to the sixth. That indicates to us that this woman was a sinner. Her sin, of course, was divorce and remarriage. And she had done it multiple times. But it was more than that. This woman was trying to find joy and satisfaction in men. She looked at one man, couldn't find it in him, went to the next, couldn't find it in him, and now she's down the line until the sixth one as well. The heart issue in this woman was that she was seeking satisfaction in men. And so she was a sinner in need of Jesus Christ, a sinner in need of living water. Before we move on, we should see ourselves in this woman. And it's not that we seek joy and satisfaction, maybe in a, in a marriage or a person, a man or a woman. But how often is it true of us that we seek joy and satisfaction in something apart from Jesus Christ Himself? And really, as we go through the text this morning, that's the thing for each of us to consider. To consider as we go forward in this day and in this week, as the Holy Spirit leads us. Where am I seeking? Where am I thirsting for that which does not satisfy as this woman was doing it in her life? But there's something else to consider here as well. If we came across a woman like this in our day, what would we do? How would we treat her? A woman divorced and remarried this many times? An outcast in her own city because of her immorality? When we easily maybe dismiss someone like this as too sinful to bring the gospel to her, that we might look down on her and think that we're so much better than she is. One of the things that we're reminded of here in this passage and and later in the chapter as well is that we must demonstrate the love of Christ to everyone who is around us. That doesn't mean accepting their sinfulness and saying that that is okay, but we do have the calling to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to all those who are around us because we don't know who it is that God and our Lord Jesus Christ will save and bring to the knowledge of that salvation. What we see here is that Jesus Christ preaches the gospel that He is the source of living water to this Samaritan woman. And the way in which He does that is He requests that she would give Him a drink from the well. And using that occasion... He teaches her about the living water that she desperately needs. So a couple of things we need to look at here. What's the idea of living water? What is that? And then secondly, 
we want to look at the source of that living water, who is Jesus Christ. What is living water? Well, Jesus here, when he speaks of living water, is using a figure that we easily understand when it comes to water. Water gives life. Water gives life. If you don't have water, you can't live. We, we know that from the perspective of our bodies. We're told in our day, you ought to drink so many glasses of water every day. You ought to have so much fluid intake in your bodies for the things that you need to do. But I'm reminded of that in a special way when I preached this sermon before. I recollected the times when I was living here and I would fly into Denver and you fly over western Nebraska and you fly over uh, eastern Colorado and you see all of these green circles or you see all of these green squares in a brown landscape. And I took notice of the landscape as we drove in. It's much greener than it usually is at this time of year. So I was thinking, well, my figure doesn't work quite as well. But you know the idea, and maybe you've seen that as well, these green circles, these green squares. Why are they green? Because of irrigation. And usually you can't grow anything out in those plains or those hills unless they're irrigated because water gives life. And when there is no water, those things cannot live. That's the idea of this figure of living water. He's speaking here of spiritual life. And as water gives life to our bodies and to other living things, so also God gives life to our souls. But also when Jesus speaks of living water, he's speaking of flowing water. Water in a stream, in contrast to stagnant water that you might find in a, in a small pond that gets scummy and green over time, or, or in a puddle of water that does the same. So there's this idea of running living water. This living water refers to the life-giving and soul-satisfying grace of God. Living water is the life-giving and soul-satisfying grace of God. Living water refers to all of the blessings of salvation that our God gives to us in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has earned for us by His death on the cross. We know that from a passage like Isaiah 12, verse 3. Isaiah 12, verse 3 says, Therefore with joy shall ye draw out of the wells of salvation. There you have that idea in the Old Testament, wells of salvation, the water of salvation. Now, water, of course, doesn't save, but it's the picture of salvation that gives us spiritual life. This living water is also the work of the Holy Spirit. We know that from what we read in John chapter 7. John chapter 7 Beginning in verse 37, Jesus is at a feast in Jerusalem, and we read there in verse 30, 37, the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And now we have this little bit of commentary on that. But this spake he of the Spirit, 
which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So this living water refers then to the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who brings to us all of these blessings of salvation, including new life that makes us spiritually alive so that we live out of that in our lives. This living water then is the transforming power of the gospel to give eternal life and that satisfies as nothing else can. And that's part of the figure here. It's this living water that alone satisfies. Nothing else does. That's an important point of Jesus here because of the woman who is trying to find joy and satisfaction in men. And that's why Jesus draws out of her the sin in which she was walking to to show her her heart. And that it was empty for her to try and find joy and satisfaction in men. But again, remember the question we need to come back to. What about us? What do we try to find joy and satisfaction in? In this life. The word of God is teaching us here. You do not find joy and satisfaction in a life of sin. That's an important word for all of us. Kids. Young people. Adults. It's not to be found in drunkenness. It's not to be found in drugs. It's not to be found in fulfilling one's sexual desires and urges. It's not to be found in any kind of life of sin. But it's not just those things that we should be thinking about. We should think about other, maybe even good things that we might seek and pursue, but they become idols in our lives because we think that they'll make us happy. If my kids were more more obedient, if my husband was this way, if my wife was that way, if, if people would just listen to me, if they would just follow what I say and do what I tell them to do, if I find excellence in my work, or if I find it in, in studies and in academics, or I find it in sports, those things will, will satisfy the cravings of my heart. And the Word of God tells us, no, they won't. It'll never be enough. It'll always leave you empty. And in fact, to try to find satisfaction in that is like taking our drinking water out of, in Grand Rapids I would say the Grand River, anybody who's lived there knows what that river's like, you don't take your drinking water out of that river. Or it might be going to a stockyard near here and going to the lagoon there and taking your, your drinking water out of that. To find satisfaction in sin and the things of this world will always leave you not only unsatisfied, but the result is death. Living water, the living water of the blessings of salvation satisfies because it meets our greatest need. It met this woman's greatest need and our greatest need. And that is that we be be delivered from the punishment of our sin. And that we be delivered from the enslaving power of sin in our lives. But take notice of this also. The source of this living water is Jesus Christ. That's emphasized here by Jesus himself in verses 10 and 14. First of all, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, he's speaking to the Samaritan woman now, 
If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. So see that emphasis upon him as the source of that living water. And then verse 14 again, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The idea here is that Jesus Christ is the source of everything that you and I need to be saved. He's the source of everything. And Him alone is found the gift of eternal life. And it's because of who He is. He's the Son of God who has become flesh. And it's because of what He has done then as the Son of God become flesh. He's come to redeem us. He's come to make the payment for all of our sins. And He has come as well to pour out upon us, His people, all of the blessings of salvation so that we have new life within a spiritual life and faith and the beginning of godliness and holiness within us and all of the rest. All of this because He died and rose again. This passage is simply a powerful reminder to us that we need Jesus Christ and we need the living water that is found alone in Him. Because that's true, Jesus Christ calls us to drink that living water. Jesus Christ called this Samaritan woman to drink of this living water In the text that we're looking at this morning, she did not at first drink of that living water. We're going to see that the drinking of living water is the activity of faith, faith that is worked in us by Jesus Christ and by the Spirit. So this drinking is the activity of faith. But to understand that faith better, we want to look at the Samaritan woman and her lack of faith at first in the passage. Later on, she had faith. Later on, and that's why we read... Uh, further on in the chapter, and you can read that as you go on in the chapter as well, that what God used to work in this woman so that she knew who Jesus Christ was, was the fact that, she, that he could tell her about all of her marriages. She had never told him. No one else had ever told him. And she was amazed by that. Recognizes he's a prophet. There's something different about this man who is talking to her. And the Holy Spirit is working, and pretty soon she goes into the village nearby. She witnesses to others and says, this must be the Christ. And others come out to hear Jesus as well. But at first, in the beginning of the passage, you see that this woman was not living by faith or drinking the living water that Jesus Christ spoke to her of. And that's because she lacked faith. Notice that in the text. When Jesus starts talking to her about living water, her response to it is almost funny. It's comical. She says to Jesus, first of all, in verse 11, how can you give me living water? You don't have a pail. You don't have a bucket to put down in the well. And we would laugh at that. Well, Jesus isn't talking about water in that well. And then, in addition to that, she speaks in the next verse, verse 12, of Jacob's well, 
Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? The idea is, this well has been here for centuries. Jacob drank from it. His children drank from it. This well has never run dry. Jesus, are you saying that you have something better than this well that has watered animals and people for generations? Of course, we know the one who is speaking to this woman. She didn't yet know him. She's blind to the gospel. She's blind to the gospel, and we know that because of her response here. And then what we read in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 is true of this woman. We read there, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. She does not yet have this spiritual discernment. She needed what Nicodemus needed. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in the previous chapter. Except you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. She wasn't yet born again. And because of that, she was unable to grasp the spiritual truth that Jesus is speaking to her in his words. The unbelief of this Samaritan woman is an unbelief that we see as well in the world around us. And sometimes we even see that within the church, that there is such unbelief. A failure to understand that everything that we need is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. But there's something else here that we should take note of. As Jesus speaks to her more about this living water, it might seem that she's coming around. But the reality is, she begins seeking Jesus, but for the wrong reason. Look at verse 15. Just before that, verse 14, Jesus was speaking to her about the living water that he could give. And the woman saith unto him, Sir... Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. At first she wants this living water because maybe, maybe if she has it, she won't have to go to this well again. Now you might think, does that mean she's just lazy? She wasn't lazy. But every time she went to the well, it was a reminder to her that she was hated in her own city. She was an outcast. She was ostracized. And she wanted that to be done. Maybe she's thinking, there's no plumbing in that day, but maybe there's a way that water can be piped directly into my home and I don't have to ever come to this well again. If He can provide water for me so I don't ever have to come to this well again, Great, then give me that water. All she wants is relief from her suffering. And so she's seeking after Jesus here, but for the wrong reason. Simply for relief from her suffering. She doesn't understand that her greatest need is deliverance from sin, not relief from her suffering. That's an important word in our day too. 
Why do we seek after Jesus? Is it true of us sometimes that we're seeking after Him simply for relief from our suffering, hoping that Jesus somehow would make our lives easier? We live in a world today that is seeking always the easy way. Is there some relief from suffering? I'm not saying we should never seek relief from suffering. That's not what I'm saying. We know that there are ways to to seek relief from suffering. If we've got a headache, we may take some Tylenol or some ibuprofen or things like that. There may be more severe suffering than that, and, and we seek for relief from that pain and suffering that we go through, no doubt. But this woman, all she wanted from Jesus at this point was relief from her suffering And sometimes we can follow Jesus with that expectation as well, that He will simply give us relief from our suffering. Beloved, if we follow Jesus simply to find some relief for our suffering, you and I will never be satisfied in Him. We can only find satisfaction in God and in His Son, Jesus Christ. I don't often give a quote in a sermon. But this morning I'm going to, and I have at other times when I preach this sermon as well. It's a quote from Augustine. You know the church father, Augustine. He wrote a little book called Confessions. It's a book in which he explains how it is that God had converted him and changed him. He was living in wickedness and unbelief, and he was seeking satisfaction for his soul in a wicked world, and he found no satisfaction, and then he writes about how he finds satisfaction in God. And this is what he writes in that book. You, and he's talking about God, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's true for us. Our hearts will always be restless until we rest in God and in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what we need for our troubled souls. We need the gospel. We need the power of salvation. We need Jesus Christ who is the source of this living water. At first, the Samaritan woman didn't understand that. She was blind to these things. But then as Jesus calls her to drink, He calls her to faith powerfully and effectually. The Holy Spirit is working and then there is faith that she displays. Now we're not going to get into that with the Samaritan woman so much, but here I'd like to talk about what it means to drink the living water. I said earlier that drinking the living water is the activity of faith, and this is the activity of faith when the child of God lays hold on the blessings of salvation that are found in Jesus Christ. The idea here is embracing those and knowing those blessings of salvation as our own and having the experience that these blessings are ours in Jesus Christ. There are three elements or three parts to this drinking or this activity of faith. The first is knowledge. Those who drink the living water that Jesus Christ gives and those who seek Him are those who know their spiritual lack and know their spiritual want. They know their sin and they know their need for Jesus Christ and this living 
water. This is the the knowledge that God gives. This is the knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives. I'm a sinner in need constantly of Jesus Christ and this living water. We know that we need God's grace. We know we need His mercy. And we know we need that and that alone to have everlasting life. So first of all, knowledge. Secondly, this drinking includes confidence or trust so that those who know their sin and know what they even deserve for their sin, they still have a confidence that they are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that to drink the living water is to believe that God delivers from the mire of sin and makes us His children through the blood of Jesus Christ. Those who drink of the living water have the confidence of the pardon of sin in Jesus Christ. Those who drink of the living water have the confidence of eternal life. Those who drink the living water have the confidence of a power that is able to deliver from the power of sin in our lives. Those who drink see Jesus Christ and have confidence because of His work and His work alone. So the question as we look at these things is, do we know this? Do you know your lack? Do you know your sin? Do you know your need? But also, do you have the confidence of this work of Jesus Christ? But now the third thing, seeking. Seeking. The child of God who knows his sin. The child of God who has the confidence of the finished work of Jesus Christ seeks for the living water that is found alone in Christ. We're not off seeking satisfaction and joy and this, that, or the other thing, but we're always looking to Jesus Christ for what we need. We're not spending all kinds of time, energy, and resources on pursuing the things that we think will give us joy and satisfaction but we're spending our time and using our resources to seek after Jesus Christ and the things that truly satisfy our souls. That's what we're going to do on this day. Not only here in worship, but once we leave here as well, we're going to be involved in activities in which we're seeking the living water And Jesus Christ, who is the source of that living water. So we'll spend time in fellowship. We're going to spend time around our dinner tables reading the Word of God, maybe singing and and praying to God as well. We're going to be doing that in our homes also. So it's not just on this day. So in worship, we're seeking Christ and we're drinking the living water as we're here. But it's also what we do in our homes as we open our Bibles and we read the Word of God individually and as families as well, because we need something there. We're not just looking for a few platitudes so that we can be directed in our lives. Oh, we want to know how to live. But every day, we need the comfort that we need on this day to know the finished work of Jesus Christ, to know the only comfort that there is in life and in death. So we pursue these things. 
We pursue fellowship with God. We, we pursue His Word. We pursue Him in prayer. We pursue Him in worship. We pursue Him in family worship. We pursue that individually as we live our lives. And there's suffering. There's hardship. Things don't go the way we plan them to go. And we're frustrated. And we're struggling with many small things or some big things. But we're constantly looking to Christ and the living water that satisfies our souls. And that's where we want to see and end this morning with understanding the great blessing that's part of this. See what Jesus promises to His people in this passage. Verse 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You and I have within us a spring or a fountain that never runs dry. It's an amazing thing. It's not just here. We have it within us wherever we go. That's what Jesus here is promising to His people. I will give Him this living water and He shall never thirst and in Him will be this well of water springing up into everlasting life. And this well of water springing up to everlasting life is better than any experience you can have here on this earth. It's better than finding the fountain of youth. It's the Holy Spirit within us constantly giving to us the salvation that He has earned for us by His death on the cross. And so Jesus promises that fountain within us. And the idea here is that this fountain keeps flowing and it never stops. It never ceases. It never runs dry. We sang earlier, the fountain of eternal life belongs with thee. That's altar number 94. Belongs alone to thee. That fountain of eternal life is found within us. So that we have within us an ever-flowing fountain of spiritual power that opens up to us faith, godliness, and unfailing spiritual joy. Is there anything better than that? The world can never give that. The world can never give that. Your pursuits can never give that. My pursuits can never give that. All the escapes that I can dream up will never give that. We have within us an ever-flowing fountain of spiritual power that opens up to us faith, godliness, and constant spiritual joy. That's what's found in Jesus Christ. But beloved, there are far too many of us who are turning away from this and trying to find satisfaction and joy in sin and the things of this life and things that can never satisfy. And I I don't just say that of you, I say that for me too. We spend far too much time pursuing those things. We need to be pursuing Christ, drinking from the wells of of salvation, seeing and understanding we do have, no matter what happens in our lives, we have everything in Jesus Christ 
and in this living water. May we live our lives in the confidence of that. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this word. But more than this, we're thankful for living water that is ours. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. It's the free gift of thine through Jesus Christ who has earned this great blessing for us. We thank thee for this constant fountain of eternal life that is found within us. Oh God, may we drink then from it. May we pursue the living water and seek for it in our lives and know that we have everything that we need in Jesus Christ no matter how difficult things get in this life. So comfort us by this. Strengthen us in our pursuits. And we pray that thou will bless our fellowship together this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.